0: Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. If you had discovered the secret to curing life-threatening illness, would you keep it to yourself or share it with those it could help? The answer is pretty obvious. If you know how life-changing God's presence in your life can be, it's your mission to share it with those who as yet don't know. It's called evangelism. But more simply, it's being real with those you meet about who Jesus is to you. Tonight, Dr. Corbett concludes his series of discussions that may very well change your life. Basing his discussions on Rick Warren's book, A Purpose Driven Life, Dr. Corbett explores the importance and the process of finding purpose and meaning for life. One more for Jesus. Join Dr. Corbett now for the final in the series on finding purpose and meaning for life.
1: Turn to Acts chapter 9. Father, as we open up your word tonight, we pray you would speak to us. Help us to hear your word tonight so that our lives can be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. It's almost becoming a trendy thing to become a Christian these days. I noticed over the news the last few days that the Australian Christian Lobby uh, have just held their national conference, and over the last few days, uh, on the radio and TV, there have been a number of people, including the opposition leader, Kim Beasley, who have come out of the closet, so to speak, and boldly proclaimed what no man has dared proclaim before, that they are a Christian. And Kim Beasley has shared his story of faith, apparently, over the weekend, and shared how he is living out his values as a Christian, uh, wanting to defend the works, uh, the, the, the rights of workers and so on. And of course, the Labor Party was founded on Christian values um, of, of uh, equity and fairness, and uh, and those types of values. Um, it's you know some people question whether they still reflect those values today or not. That's that's another debate. And of course, the Liberal Party, the Conservatives, were also founded by Christians, but with a different emphasis. So nobody has exclusive claim over. Uh, Christianity, Labor is not essentially Christian. Liberal is not essentially Christian. I like what Brian Houston says about Louise Marcus, who is a Liberal member, the member for Greenway. He said, my support for her is for her, not for her party. My support for her is because I've known her for 20 years and she's been a part of the Hillsong Church. All well, the same, I hope, we can say about... Uh, people that we know who love the Lord, no matter what party they're a part of, that if they love the Lord, they get our support. And we need good people in positions of government and influence. But sometimes now we're going to hear of people who claim to be Christian, and sometimes I feel like saying, when when did you have a conversion? When was your conversion experienced? In Acts chapter 9, we read of a man who had a conversion. In Acts chapter 9, as we look at this whole topic of finding purpose and meaning for our lives, we read the story of a man by the name of Saul. And in Acts chapter 9, we, we see this man who is on his way to kill and persecute Christians, to drag them out of their homes and have them arrested, tortured and imprisoned. And we find this most remarkable passage occurring in verse 15. Now, what I find particularly remarkable is that Saul of Tarsus had an encounter with the risen Lord. Now, who would like one of those? It'd be nice, wouldn't it? It'd kind of be, nice. it'd be curious. You'd be curious to have one. You, you know, on the way home tonight, Brennan. You, you know, the Lord stops you in your car, blinding light. You'd stop, wouldn't you? And you'd say, "This is different." Or something like that. Saul knocked off his horse and encountered with God. Now what I find really intriguing is he's having a conversation with God and, and the Lord Jesus says to him, go to this city, go to this particular street, and there is a man there who will tell you what I want to tell you. I find that interesting. That, I think, was one of the, the first steps in the journey of this man's conversion. It was a step of humility. It was a step of humility. Because there he was talking with the Lord and the Lord says to him, what I want to tell you is what Ananias is going to tell you. I have told Ananias what I want to tell you. Now go and talk to him. There might be a part of our pride that might be a tad offended at that kind of interaction with the Lord. And we might say, well, hang on, God, you're here. Tell me yourself. But Paul has to have the word of the Lord through another brother. And for some of us, that might be very humbling. And we find that the Lord had prepared Ananias in verses 10 And 11, and obviously had shared more with him. And we read in verse 15, But the Lord said to him, this is the Lord speaking to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I, oh, verse 16 is not very friendly. I don't know if I should read it, but for the sake of context, I might. But I'll try and read it very quickly for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, part of the point there is that when God spoke to Saul, he outlined his purpose and and the destiny of this man's life. You know, God has a plan for your life. God does have a destiny for your life. And in the scheme of God, on God's chessboard, it's really important that we cooperate with God because sometimes I've discovered in the timing of God, we can miss it and have to go back around the mountain again. And the Old Testament tells us of a people that came to a point, they messed up with God and they had to go back around the mountain and that lasted for 40 years. That journey from Egypt to Canaan was a 13-day trek. 13-day trek that took 40 years because they couldn't get it. They didn't get it. I don't want my life to be described as going around the mountain again and again and again. I want to get it. There are certain things we've got to get. God has a plan. And here we see that specifically God had a plan for this man, Saul. And God spoke through Ananias to show Saul exactly what his plan was. So, I believe that scripture shows us that we can discover how God's purpose gives our life meaning. I think it's a safe thing now. I'm not sure if Cinderella Man is still on at the cinemas. And if you haven't seen it and you intend to see it, I'll try not to spoil it for you. But in the movie Cinderella Man, we find this uh, young man with a family boxing um, Endlessly, ceaselessly, tirelessly, to the point where he's not giving his body any time to recover. Small fractures in his hand become major cracks and he ends up becoming um, a wreck. A human wreck. And in the true story of James J. What's his name? What is it? Braddock. Braddock. That's it. James J. Braddock. We find that as a washed-up boxer with no skills under his belt, no profession, no trade, he, he is struggling to put food on the table for his family, ends up getting casual work down on the docks and does this day in, day out, year after year with, it, with what was a broken hand, compensating mightily with his other arm. And eventually, after years of this, An opportunity comes where he's presented with an opportunity to fight again. And what he doesn't realise is all that time of humiliation down on the docks was exactly what his body needed to recover. And more than that, it was exactly what the exercise he would have been doing if he was in the gym. And so he finds that he gets back into the ring and is stronger than ever, fitter than ever, sharper than ever, even though he's a lot older 7 8 years older than what he was when he last fought and he goes on to become world champion i'm trying not to spoil the movie for you because <laughs> it is a true story it's kind of like watching the titanic isn't it you know what's going to happen so but there he was you know in hindsight he could look back and put some meaning into the very things that he thought were setbacks in his life Sometimes we, we get what we think are setbacks when in fact in the plan and the purpose of God for our lives, they're not setbacks at all. We've already looked at some of the examples in, in Scripture where Joseph was in jail in Pharaoh's dungeons for perhaps 12, 13 years. They weren't setbacks. It was an opportunity for Joseph to develop his spirit to become a man who not only could have dreams, but interpret the dreams of others. He began to hear God like never before. There's examples of, of other people who went into adverse circumstances. I think of my, perhaps my greatest biblical hero, Daniel, where he was taken away from his parents, his family, familiar surroundings, taken to Babylon. And in the midst of this suffering and this humiliation, he thrived. God has a way of doing that with our lives. We hear people who, who know this intuitively. They say things like this. Nothing happens by accident. I hear non-Christians say that. You feel like stopping them and saying, and why do you reckon that is? You hear other people say, things always happen for a reason. They're right And sometimes, again, it's non-Christians who say it. And you feel like saying to them, well, who do you reckon gives it reason? And then, of course, that very sentiment is reflected in Romans 8.28 where it says, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So God has a purpose. And when you discover God's purpose, you're able to put some meaning, into your life. You ever been late for an appointment? You ever been running late for an appointment? And just this thought dawns on you: maybe I'm running late for a reason. I remember hearing Ravi Zachary Rice say that um, it was some years ago when he had just flown in ahead of his wife Maggie. Uh, oh, uh, Maggie, Margie, Margie. Anyway. If they ever come here, they'll have to forgive me for getting a name wrong. And and he just heard as he was waiting for his wife that the flight that his wife was due in on had been shot down by Russian MiG fighter pilots. And this this thought of utter despair came on him and, and eventually he discovered that his wife couldn't actually get on that flight. She was unexpectedly and inexplicably put on the next flight. And now, of course, he's rejoicing that that happened. Sometimes people have been late for appointments only to miss out on what quite possibly would have been a head-on collision. And so on. There are many examples of this where God's able to use things like this for our good, um, I, I find that I'm able to live with a great deal more peace, knowing that God's able to even take my mistakes and put meaning to it. You know, where where you can actually make a mistake and hand it over to God, and God can sort it out. I find that's tremendously um, uh, uh, peaceful in knowing that. Well, Rick Warren says. Your most effective ministry will come out of your deepest hurts. You know, as we seek to apply the the principle of, of, of purpose in our life, we're now getting down to tin tacks where we're going to ask God, All right, God, I know you. I worship you. I'm in fellowship with your people. I'm allowing your spirit to change my life, to make me more like Christ. I now recognize that you've given me a job. You've given me gifts to complete that job. What is it? You know, some people want to know the detail of God's purpose for their life without laying the foundation of purpose in their life. And that foundation of purpose is firstly knowing God. Knowing God. I find it intriguing that in Galatians chapter 1, from that encounter in Acts chapter 9, in Galatians chapter 1, we read that Paul went from from Damascus to the deserts of Arabia. And some scholars think that Paul was in the desert of Arabia for up to 10 years, studying the life of Christ, learning as much as he could about what Christ taught, seeking Christ, having encounters with Christ, For up to 10 years, the timing of God. Paul took time out to know God. This man who heard from Ananias that one day he would stand before kings and governors and rulers of the Gentiles and declare the name of the Lord. He knew what his purpose was, yet he was still prepared to lay the foundation of purpose in his life to get to know the God he never did. And as he came to know God, as it says in Galatians 1, where he went out and he began to get fresh revelation from God for his own life. He began to worship this God. And as he worshipped God, Galatians 2 says that he did the next thing that's the purpose for our lives. That is, he came into fellowship and it says that Peter and James extended to him the right hand of fellowship as the great apostle Paul came into fellowship. And he talks about developing the character of Christ, which he calls the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And we see that he, he talks about the foundation of purpose being outworked in his life before he was able to fulfill the exact destiny of his life. And I think we need to do the same thing. It took Paul at least 10 years to begin to walk in that destiny and purpose for his life. And Rick Warren says that sometimes you have to allow God to minister so deeply into your life that you'll be ministering out of a deep compassion. As he says here, your most effective ministry will come out of your deepest hurts. Hudson Taylor said this, All God's giants were weak people. All God's giants were weak people. There's a point at which we allow God to do something so deep in our life that when we're in fellowship, sometimes as we've seen, sometimes that can really hurt. People can say nasty things, do nasty things, and sometimes it cuts so deep. But God is doing a strengthening in our spirit, toughening us up for his purpose. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 9, we read that the Lord said to Paul when he cried out to God that he wouldn't be so weak. God said this, but he said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You may begin to get a glimpse of what God wants you to do with your life, the mission God is sending you on, and you might begin to think, No, nah, could never do that." No, that's not for me. And if that's the case, it probably is. Because I've discovered that God would rarely ask anybody to do anything they could do in their own strength. Rarely. It's just not biblical. Usually, God expects us to have to step out in faith. So what ministry, what mission, what job has God got for us? That's what we're going to look at tonight. And I hope that I can stir you and inspire you to realize that God has one for you. Rick Warren tells the story of his father in his book, Purpose Driven Life. And he says his father was a preacher for 55 years. He mainly at small rural churches, but he had a passion to help third world churches build buildings and he often took teams of people from these small rural churches where he was pastoring over to third world countries and helped them build buildings in fact he did it 150 times throughout his ministry helped build 150 churches in third world nations in struggling uh, rural contexts as well and Rick Warren says that his father was diagnosed with cancer in 1999 and as Rick Warren's dad began to be uh, uh, debilitated by this cancer, he said that, that uh, he, he would slip in and out of consciousness and, and, and the cancer and the drugs and the treatment made it very, very difficult for him to sleep. And so often he would go into these half-sleep, half-awake moments where he would be dreaming, but rather than dreaming, he would be narrating his dreams with his eyes closed. And, and Rick Warren said as he sat beside his father's uh, bedside in the hospital, he would hear his father describe the dreams that he was having, the dreams of where he was remembering the people that he'd helped and the churches he'd helped build and, and how uh, he remembers dedicating the building. And, and, and every time they dedicated these buildings, they would pray that the Lord would add people, add souls to the kingdom through the, through the beacon of this building. And, and, and then there was a time... There, as, as Rick said, you know, he realised at that point. He always knew his father was genuine, but there was something there where his father had no control over what he was saying. That he realised what a great man his father was, not acclaimed by the world, but there was his dad with a genuine concern for the lost, a genuine concern for the kingdom. And Rick says that he that in the dying days of his father, he he arose from his bed. He, his Rick Warren's uh, wife said to him, Jimmy, what are you doing? He said, I've got to reach one more soul for Jesus. One more to be saved for Jesus. Just got to save one more for Jesus. And and, and of course, he couldn't get up. He was just too weak and he would collapse back into the bed and begin to groan. Oh, God, one more saved for Jesus. As he began to cry out, Just one more, Lord, one more. I want to see one more saved for Jesus. And Rick Warren said as he sat there watching his dad, listening to his dad, tears streaming down his own face, his dad turned to him and in a moment of consciousness reached out, put his hand on Rick Warren's shoulder and said, Son, get me one more for Jesus. Save one more for Jesus. And with that he died. You can understand why Rick Warren has gone on in his own church to every Sunday preach to fulfill what his dad commissioned him on his deathbed. Save one more for Jesus. And Rick said that if he does nothing else, his life is dedicated to that purpose of seeing one more saved for Jesus. If you have ever opened up the last chapters of the New Testament and read the the end part of Revelation chapter twenty, I think the beginning of Revelation chapter twenty is a bit uh, a bit deep, and you need to get my commentary on that available from AndrewCorbett.com, and you can download that and read what we have to say there about that. But the end part of Revelation chapter twenty talks about the judgment day. The New Testament uses this expression on that day. And it's speaking of the last day, the day of judgment, the day when God will judge. As we read Revelation chapter 20 and chapter 21, we see that there is coming a day in God's mind where there's coming a day where everybody will be judged. And I can't help but read that and think, man, man, what we do on earth matters. It says the I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne. And they were judged according to what was written of them in the books on that day. Because when we, when we understand that when we find meaning and purpose, it's meaning in God's purpose has eternal consequences. Eternal consequences that our lives will affect people's eternity. It will. You know, what we do in church on a Sunday will affect people's eternity. There will be people that come into this church that are in dire need. You know, I, I've met people who come once and not come for three, four, five, six years, but still been saying to themselves, I'm coming back. All because a positive impression was made on them. And perhaps not the right time for them. God is able to work in his time. You know, when we find meaning in God's purpose, we recognize that God has given us gifts and he's given us ministries. He's also able to use our talents. I believe that there are people who have honed a talent and they thought that it was just a a parent uh, uh, making life miserable for them. You know, when they practice an instrument... It's just my parents being hard on me, or it's just the school being hard on me. The school's being hard on me, making me learn the alphabet or the times table. But God can use that. He can use that talent. He can use it. And God has given you gifts. It says in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we see that there's a a list there of some six different gifts that God may have given you one of those or a combination of those. They're just some of the gifts that the New Testament mentions that God can give you and your life will find purpose and you'll be able to put meaning into your life when you begin to step out in the gifts that God has given you. If you don't know what they are, I make the first prayer suggestion. Ask God. Pray. Ask God. God, make it clear to me what you've given me. Make it clear. I think each one of us should be able to say at least the three gifts God has given us. God's given some of us a ministry, a ministry gift that's not of ourselves, but it's from him. I know that God's given me the gift of teaching, being able to teach God's word. And I want to hone that craft. I know that God has called me to be a teacher. I rest in that. I'm not the world's greatest leader. I'm not the world's greatest pastor. I'm not the world's greatest anything. I'm I'm trying to be a reasonable teacher. What gift has God given you? Because whatever it is, God thinks you're just right for that gift. And when He brings you into this church and when you're a part of this church, he thinks this church needs your gift. That's an exciting thought that God places people together. It says in Romans chapter 12 verse 11, just down from where we were looking, "Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord." Serve the Lord use the gifts that God has given you 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 each one has received a gift use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's as good stewards of God's varied grace so God has given each one of us a gift and I believe That that moment when God is able to fully use you, when you've laid the foundation of purpose in your life, where you know him and you are knowing him, when you are a worshipper of God, when you're in fellowship with God's people, when you're allowing the Spirit of God to change you and the fruit of God, the fruit of the Spirit is coming out more and more in your life. And when you recognise, I think God's given me a gift. Rick Warren says, It's at this point that you need to be prayerful more than ever if you feel you're at that point in your life. Because every gift God has given us is for one ministry. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God has given one ministry to the church and it's the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciling people to God. There is one ministry. Don't ask what your ministry is. That's it. You might express it differently. But God has given us all one ministry of reconciling people to Jesus Christ. To see one more saved for Jesus. You know, and as we begin to outwork this, Rick Warren says this, People may refuse our love or reject our message. But they are defenceless against our prayers. Isn't that a powerful thought? There's not a thing people can do to stop you praying for them. Now, I believe that if we were able to look at exactly what you pray about most of the time, we'd get a pretty good indication of what gifts God has deposited and invested into your life. What do you pray about? How do you pray for God to change you? How do you you pray when you're alone with God? What kind of invitational prayers do you give God to change your life? What kind of prayers do you offer up to God to make your life of greater eternal consequence in this life? Those kind of prayers... Give an indication of the gifts and the ministry God has placed within you. I also believe that each of us get angry about something. Maybe not in a rage, but maybe just mildly frustrated or upset. As I shared previously, I think people who walk into a situation that's just totally disorganized and they begin to get frustrated, they begin to get edgy, they begin to get angry. Maybe they've got a gift of leadership or a gift of administration but somebody please get this thing into shape? Perhaps there are others and, and, and people are being abused in one way or another. And your heart just goes out toward them. You get angry about it. Maybe you've got a gift of mercy, compassion, a pastoral spirit. Maybe you see a need. I think when, when we recognize a need and we, are, we begin to ask this question... Why isn't anybody doing something about this? I believe that's an indicator that perhaps God's called you to do something about this. When you recognize a need, it's often an indicator of a gift that God has placed within you. And finally, I think when you can do something with a great deal of ease. You may not enjoy it all the time, but you can do it with ease that that's an indicator of the gift of God within you. I was talking with someone recently who I believe uh, for years has missed their gift, missed their ministry. Yet in their own mind, and unfortunately because others have reinforced this wrong concept in their mind, they've become convinced that they are something that they are in fact not. And as I was sharing with this person, I said, you know, for years you've been trying to do this for God, it's interesting that no doors have opened for you. Do you think God might be speaking to you? No, I think it's the devil. Oh, okay, that's an interesting worldview. Have you noticed, though, that you haven't been inactive for God? Have you noticed that you've actually been very active for God, doing something for him, that's actually been bearing quite a lot of fruit? And they said, oh, yeah, but that's easy. And I felt like saying, ka <laughs> Hello! And I reminded this person of a great movie called Mr. Holland's Opus. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favour and grab it. You know the story, Mr. Holland's Opus, where for years he's frustrated because he thinks he's a symphony composer. But what he actually is, is a great teacher. And it's not until the end of his 40-year teaching career that it dawns on him I'm actually quite good at this. And he abandons all hope of completing his symphony, his opus. And lo and behold, it's happened anyway. Great movie. Probably just spoiled it for those who haven't seen it. Well, I think those things are an indicator of just how God may have called you. And so we can rest in the fact That God's purpose done in God's time and according to God's plan will bring fulfillment to your life. Now I want to finish with this thought. That if you can lay the foundation of getting to know God, becoming a worshipper of God, in fellowship with God's people, allowing the Spirit of God to change your life like never before, and beginning to step out in the gifts that he's given you. Rick Warren says you can become a world class Christian. A world class Christian. And this is what he means by world class Christians. He says world class Christians think differently. Firstly, they are constantly thinking about others. Philippians 2 4 in the New Living Bible says this Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. Philippians 2 4. World class Christians think Globally. Paul writing to the Colossians in chapter 1 verse 5 and 6 says, I thank God that this gospel is, has now gone out to all the world. Paul thought in global terms. And as we as a church are beginning to step out in all kinds of electronic media, we have an opportunity to do that as well. Global world-class Christians think eternally. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are uh, unseen and are eternal. So the Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter four 18, don't just focus on the here and now, focus on what is happening now that will affect eternity. Powerful thought. World-class Christians think creatively. They think creatively. When confronted with a problem, world-class Christians don't settle for the response, it can't be done. World-class Christians begin to think, God, how can this be done? They begin to think creatively. They look prayerfully for answers and solutions and they stop making excuses. What has God called you to do? If you want to know... Lay the foundation of purpose in your life. It might take 10 years like it took Paul. It might take many years, longer than that, for God to place you in his exact time, his exact plan, and his exact place for you to become a world-class Christian. But you can get the foundations right now. We want to be a part of a world-class church, a church that is going to touch our community and touch this world. And we want that same heartbeat as Rick Warren's dad. One more saved for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that in each of our hearts, something would so stir so deeply that we would be moved with a great urgency, a great burden to see one more saved for Jesus. One more saved for Jesus. Father, may that echo May that reverb in in our heads this week and in our hearts and minds and spirits one more say for Jesus. Lord, I pray that you open up witnessing opportunities for us to share the love of Christ, to share how Jesus has changed our lives and can change theirs too. I pray, Father, for those who are listening to me now within the sound of my voice who have never committed their lives to Christ. Perhaps... There are people listening to me right now and and their love for Christ has grown cold. It's grown dim. Now is the time to come back to him. Now is the time to have your faith in him reignited, set back on fire. And I pray, Father, for those who are yet to commit to you, that, Lord, they'll begin that journey with just a simple prayer. Oh, God, please reveal yourself to me. Come into my life and change me, I pray. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Finding purpose and meaning for life. Just one more for Jesus. You don't have to dash out and enroll in an evangelism degree. Just be ready to share with others the very real difference Jesus has made in your life. That concludes Dr. Corbett's series on finding purpose and meaning for life. We hope you found it challenging and inspiring. If you'd like to listen again to tonight's program, you can purchase a CD copy for $5.50, including postage and handling. Just contact Lagana Media at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Please quote the program title, Finding Purpose and Meaning, Session 7. For a CD copy of the seven-part series for $35, including postage and handling, just ask for Finding Purpose and Meaning, the series. Finding Truth Matters resources are also available via the website at www.findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to Finding Truth Matters monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett is a production of Laguna Media. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.